Ciao a tutti, benvenuti a Unseated, eh, un podcast settimanale di tennis. Mi chiamo Fernanda e questo è il mio co-host Rob. There we go. I don't know if that was correct, but that's uh, we thought we'd be on. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we th we thought we'd be on topic for Rome, um, and because Fer is doing Italian lessons on Monday evenings, we uh, thought we'd yeah. open this episode in Italian. We should have really opened it in Spanish for the Madrid episode, considering uh, Spanish is your language, really. Yeah. You can try your best for Roland Garros, opening in French. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> That's as far as I can get. I know that tone. <laughs> um, monetized. Yep. Uh... Yeah. Anyway, so obviously this is episode 15 of Unseeded. Uh, my obviously. name is Rob. This is my co-host. Uh, I mean, it literally is obviously because the, the number of the episode appears when you click on it. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, it's, it is obviously. This is my co-host, Fer, um, who can speak oh. Italian, Spanish and other languages i'm sure um, english english <laughs> well, like <laughs> well we don't know <laughs> um but yes yeah, so obviously we once again find ourselves halfway through a tournament so it's quite hard to talk about actual tennis that's happening all we'll say about that is my predictions are currently doing better because both mine are still in um yeah who, um, who did you go for uh, i went for sviontek and medvedev Oh, uh, yeah, you played it safe. Medvedev is not playing it safe. Oh, did you go for... Did you, did you went for I thought you went for Djokovic. No, I went for Sviontek and Daniel Medvedev. Oh, okay. Well, Sviontek is playing it safe. Yeah, I know, but... I guess it's half and half. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, kind of a vanilla risk, but okay. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, our first topic of conversation isn't actually tennis that's happening right now it's just sort of tennis in general inspired by what's happening right now and inspired by another better tennis podcast literally called the tennis podcast i, I mean if you listen to us you've probably heard of that podcast because it's it's like us but more polished and, and because better. it's the tennis podcast <laughs> yeah basically yeah we're a tennis podcast they're the <laughs> tennis podcast i listened to this this episode or at least part of it so far on my way to and from work earlier today and i mean we also did touch upon it a little bit ourselves last week when we talked about hashtag cake gate yeah. and we briefly talked about the we briefly touched on we didn't really go into it oh uh, yeah the ball girls at madrid which is obviously always a bit weird um and then the women's doubles final they're not being any sort of acceptance speech or anything or <laughs> runners-up speech the sort of normal trappings that you associate with finals in tennis but i've now just got a thing which is should we actually just talk about inequality in tennis i mean jessica pagula was obviously asked in the run-up to rome because she was involved in this final uh, about what she thought and her quote was as follows I don't know what century everyone was living in when they made that decision so I think that's pretty clear um, but yeah obviously going into it uh, Madrid the women's doubles players did not get to speak after picking up the trophy there was no runners-up speech either um, which is really really bizarre um, 
Madrid was just like a whole mess, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, even like, I mean, do you want to get into the the whole speech thing, and then we'll talk about all of, all of the other things they. I feel like clay court tennis itself is just a bit of a mess. It is. I mean, tennis You're itself. A... Tennis is itself not... is just a. Mess. Which I think is is our point with this episode. Yeah. Like, it's so sexist. Still, I mean, we've come far, but I... it's still like. So I started off writing notes about this, and as you can see from here, they're like just sprawling all over the page because I started writing them, and then just more and more things just started coming to mind. Yeah, that just sort of pointed it out. So, and then I started looking into it, and part of me looking into it was just listening to what they were saying on um, the tennis podcast. And the thing that surprised me most is so Madrid not only are did they have this whole thing about speeches in the doubles final? It was so. Do you know how Madrid? One of their big selling points was, "Oh, we have equal prize money," mm. which shouldn't be a selling point, really. Yeah. It should just be like it's like standard. It should be the standard. Um, so they technically have equal prize money, but if but you no equal treatment. No, no. If you're an ATP player, you earn more money than an equivalent WTA player playing at Madrid. Oh, like not winning. So, no, even if you win. Oh. So basically, the ATP, they have this thing with, now they've got these week and a half long Masters 1000 events. The ATP themselves have got a thing where profits are shared 50-50 between ATP players and the tournaments themselves. So these oh. will be profits obviously derived from like ticket sales, stuff like that. Yeah. So the money, uh, technically the prize money, so the, the actual prize money itself is the same. Yeah. The money earned is different because there's all this other money and like... Mm this money that is to do with like profit sharing is tied into like points. So it is essentially prize money. Oh. So it's not equal earnings. Yeah. I didn't know that. Kept that pretty quiet, didn't they? Yeah. And to exaggerate it, so Rome is not equal prize money. No. Yeah. I read that. So if you want to know how much you would earn as the men's singles winner of Rome, that is 1,105,265 euros. So nice, nice sum of money. If you are competing in the women's singles and you win that, that is less than half. It is 521,754 euros. Hmm. Yeah. Well. But don't worry, they aim to be equal by 2025. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Should, should women just stop playing until 2025? It's... Or just stop existing, maybe? That'll make it easier. And the fact is, the prize money for the men's side, I think it went up like 20 to 30% or something like that from last year. Well, that wasn't that Djokovic point when he pointed it out? When he said... Oh, it's good for women that, you know, they're fighting for like equal price money and like, it's good for them to get it, but men should get more. 
like what we get right now is not enough. We should get more because we deserve more. So part of Djokovic's point, I understand because when he talks about prize money and he talks about getting more, he talks about the the distribution of prize money. So you get less money if you win it. And so more money becomes available at the early rounds of competitions. I've heard that point made. No. And he ha- it, and he has walked back on the comments to do with he the walked pay off gap because between men and women. Criticize him. It's like an apology video from a YouTuber who's crying. I, I mean, know, but are you like, apologizing be because you because you got caught? You know, no, but, not because no, but that's not what you think. No, because you can realize that you're wrong because you've been criticized. That's sort of generally how people find out that they're wrong. Well, but also um, like apologizing means nothing. You can say. Oh, I'm sorry. That doesn't mean you're, that's not what you think. That just means you don't want people to be mad at you. No, but you can you can just be sorry because you've realised that you're in the wrong. And I don't know Djokovic's mind, so I'm not going to comment. Well, on that. what he said, and I think was, it's sort of better than me. What he said though was that people don't watch women's tennis as much, so they don't deserve to to earn as much, which is also something a lot of uh, people have commented on. So. There is a point to be had in saying, you know, how many like ATP players do you know? There are so many that you can, you know, recognize. But how many WTA players do you know? Like, obviously, we know lots of for both. But like your, you know, run of the mill like tennis fan, they will probably recognize more men and they will probably watch more men's matches. However, if we did what he wanted, then Roger and Rafa would have gotten like 90% of the money. He would have gotten like 20 because mm. when it was Roger Djokovic or Nadal Djokovic, no one was there to see him, you know? So like, seems a bit hypocritical to say like, when it's convenient to him, oh yeah, let's do it for like, who's, who like, you know, the spectators come here to watch. But if he was like in, in a different time, then maybe he wouldn't, he wouldn't be like, saying that yeah i mean in response to your comments about Djokovic, just i mean because i don't want to launch into a huge defense of one of the most successful male tennis players of all time considering we're talking about inequality between men and women on the tour but obviously in 2021 um he was found he founded the professional tennis players association with vasic pospisil and they put out a statement uh, saying that uh, Azarenka had admired Pagula and Goff had been denied the right to freedom of expression and any interference of with this is inexcusable. Uh, that was from the PTPA's uh, executive director. And yeah, so, and when, went on to say the entire tennis establishment dropped the ball by not addressing and correcting the inexplicable decision to silence Victoria, Beatrice, Jessica and Coco. So, just on that side, there is the um, the association that he founded did come out against what happened in Madrid, at least. Um, so yeah, well, this is different. What happened in Madrid, like silencing people, that's just a whole different thing. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Like I've never seen sometimes, that. Happen. Sometimes I've, it's rushed. That's yeah. true. Sometimes but, it's wrong, but I've never seen that happen. Like, even if you win like a ITF event, there's gonna be a winner's speech. Yeah. Like, 
it's it's really really bizarre like i mean as pagula said what century were they living in it's inexplicable <laughs> what was their what was their um reasoning behind it did they even give an excuse uh they did come out with a statement um but they just apologize just... though and not like offer an explanation so the tournament chief executive of the Madrid Open said, uh, we sincerely apologize to all the players and fans who expect more of the mature Madrid Open tournament. Not giving our women's doubles finalists the chance to address their fans at the end of the match was unacceptable. And we have apologized directly to Victoria, Beatrice, Coco and Jessica. We're working internally and with the WTA, the women's Tennis Association, obviously, to review our protocols and are committed to improving our process moving forward. We made a mistake and this will not ever happen again. So this was like intentional? This was obviously after um, not initially commenting on the matter, but eventually they did. No, but I mean, it wasn't like, you know, we have a reason, like we couldn't do it because of this. It was like they made a decision not. Yeah, they they made a decision not to have yeah speeches at the end of okay. the final, and went through with it. I I mean, it was the only reassuring thing was actually it was quite a big story and it was reported quite widely. It wasn't just sort mm-hmm. of like yeah, that happened. Um, but yeah, it's sort of going through it. Obviously, we we went on to talk about Rome not being equal prize money. Uh, and then there were, and then I just sort of kept writing more and more stuff down that I kept thinking about. So uh, I think we've laughed about this previously a couple of times, this whole sort of hashtag Tennis United thing. Yeah. That it's like, ooh, the WTA and ATP are joining together. So this is slightly this is a point that I thought of, but like how united really are they beyond sort of hashtag content and just sort of making fun videos where ATP players talk to WTA players. Obviously, this is slightly as not significant as a point now because the WTA have themselves announced that they're returning to China. But last year, the WTA were obviously still boycotting China because of the disappearance of one of their players in China, Peng Shui. The ATP had penciled in events for the back end of last year which were then cancelled they weren't cancelled out of solidarity with the wta and their boycotting due to the safeguarding of a former wta player they boycotted because they could not feasibly host the tournaments with the lockdown restrictions that were happening in china at the time so realistically if tennis was well, if it was hashtag Tennis United, then you'd expect that the ATP would take the same stance on that issue as the WTA, specifically mm-hmm. because it's to do with the safeguarding of a player. And yet that decision wasn't made because the prospect of, I mean, partly it's a financial decision. That's the reason why the WTA are moving back to China. It's a financial decision. You get a lot of money by hosting events in China. There's a lot of prize money on offer by hosting events in China. I think that's the issue at the end of the day, that it's all about money, mm. you know? Like for both players, I mean, male players, and for the tournament 
organizations like they're all they're thinking about money yeah and it's not like obviously you know some male players will say like oh women don't deserve to get paid more but also in the back of their mind i guess they're thinking if they get more i'm gonna get less so why should they get more when i deserve this you know the tournaments are just trying to make a buck out of everyone yeah so like is there like actually like you know like personal you know like do they actually care about the players i don't think they do i don't think like any sport does though i don't think this is a tennis issue i think that's everything like it's just a capitalist issue that at the end of the day this goes beyond the sport this is a business and Mm. what they're trying to do is just get money and get rich they don't care if the sport is fair they don't care if you know players are safe they don't care as long as they can exploit them and get what they want then they're happy and that this is not a tennis issue like i say like you can see that in ice skating as well like the rules are just like they don't matter as long as you can sell you know stadiums will or like you can sell like this person as like a great sports person but because it's convenient for you you don't care about their health or whatever they stop serving a purpose for you and then you throw them away and you pick up someone else that's mm. what they do big three it wasn't about celebrating their huge talent it was about making a big deal out of these people so you can sell the image and i yeah. mean fair enough some people like will profit off it like roger did you know he he knew how to like set his boundaries i guess because he never seemed like affected by you know by the image they portrayed of him but like they give you like a like they give you like a a role to play and you play it yeah at the end of the day that that's it and i mean the difference between how um female tennis players and male tennis players are talked about you look at when i don't know a male tennis player throws their racket it's almost sort of or has an argument with an umpire like sometimes there's a bit of like oh that's a bit oh or it's sort of or it's sometimes just like oh we thrown a racket oh um i mean whereas whereas you look at the reporting around serena williams in the 2019 2018 us open final when she played naomi osaka yeah and yeah the reporting about serena williams she had an argument with the umpire about a code violation how many tennis players have arguments with umpires about code violations yeah and how many tennis players have been punished like this in a Grand Slam yeah. final? Because yeah. yes, it happens. You know, this this umpire who did that to Serena Williams, Carlos Ramos, um, he's known to be like quite uh, tough, I guess. Like he, you know, follows the rules very strictly, supposedly. But at the same year in Wimbledon, he was the umpire for Djokovic Nishikori. Uh, match and he gave Djokovic a violation for bouncing his racket on the grass but when Nishikori did it he didn't do anything 
And then Djokovic complained and he said, oh, double standards. And that was like also like a thing. But was Djokovic punished for saying double standards? No. Was Serena punished for calling him a thief? Yes. So like people love to make this argument about like, oh, well, the rules are the rules and you know, like you have to follow them, whatever. Okay, yes. She got a violation also for coaching. How many players get coaching? You know? Yeah. Has he ever been punished for it? I mean, yeah, 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 has. Um, In a grand yeah. final, I don't think they. That's the thing that yes, the rules are there. Coaching, but that was the, that was followed? the reason why they introduced coaching is because everyone knew it happened all the time. Yeah, and that, it just wasn't. The thing is that if you're gonna make it illegal, and you know it happens all the time, then you have to punish everyone all the time. Yeah. Not just punish some people and then let it go for so for others. Because that's where the issue begins. Yeah. I mean, one thing as well, sort of going on from this, is when I was sort of writing down all these all these notes, is I admittedly I've only got experience going to two slams so far. I'm going to obviously Roland Garros at the end of this month. Um, so I'll probably be able to talk about more in depth then because I'm there for a week. But so but one thing i must say and i think the clearest example of this was on the first thursday last year i was on i day pass for suzanne longlen and there were four matches that day um there was uh bedosa versus kai yuvan there was igas fiontech against alison risk Hugo Gaston against Christian Garin and Stefanos Sitsipas, and I cannot remember the person he played. One thing that I I did notice about that is is the match going fans. This is, I mean, I can't. I'm not going to compare the amount of people that are in for the Sviontek match and the Bedosa match to the Hugo Gaston match because that is a French player at the French Open. That is going to that they're like the wildest tennis atmospheres out there when there's a French player playing at the French Open. Like everyone is there for that. But the I think the point of comparison is so Bedosa at last year's Roland Garros was the number three seed. Igor Swiatek was the number one seed. Igor Swiatek at that point only had one Grand Slam, but she had won a French Open. Stefano Tsitsipas was the number four seed um and has not won a slam <laughs> yeah even as of now um and yet the crowd levels between Bedosa and Suyantek and then Sitsipas, it's major like it was pretty much as full as you can get long length for Sitsipas. but for Suyantek and Bedosa, yeah it's like 50 mm-hmm. percent at most yeah. Maybe a little bit more for Sviontek, which is, I, do, I just don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I personally don't understand that because I feel like if I'm buying a ticket for an entire day of a court, I want to watch as much tennis as I can. As much as the, the the tennis authorities are somewhat to blame, like with Madrid, is that there's, there's a sort of... Yeah, and, but, I, I, but... I, and one thing I've, I've, I've not seen in a lot of this discussion is is that being brought up. Because I don't know whether a lot of people who have had this discussion have been 
people that work in the tennis media so it's harder to give across these things because maybe you're if you're in the press boxes if you're in the if you're in the in the press center where you're watching it on all these different screens and you're not actually paying for the tickets to go into the crowds and then realizing oh this crowd is a lot thinner for this match yeah i think that's the only scenarios where i've seen this issue being brought up is saying oh well see women don't deserve to get paid the same like they're not trying to fix or like understand why that's happening they're just saying oh well they don't matter as much then let's see mm. how we can get rid of them and then you know concentrate of like focus on the men when in reality if you want your tournament to be successful and fair then you would probably like try to understand why there's not as many you know because that's what i was saying earlier if you talk to like an average tennis fan and you know someone who's not following every tournament and like knows like plays tennis like in the summer or whatever they will be able to name a few male players but if you ask for like women players they will probably only say serena williams maybe Iga Zviatek because she's number one or if you're a Brit you've probably heard of Emma Raducanu now because of yeah definitely if you're a Brit you know Raducanu but you know they're not gonna know they're not gonna be able to name more than three that's for sure but they're gonna be able to name at least three male players and this uh, this is the thing about the, the 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 sort of the powers that be in tennis is like you see that women's tennis is is equally as marketable because like you put emma raducanu on center court wimbledon you know every seat in the house is going to be full to watch that match serena williams every seat is going to be full. i know serena williams is a bit of a special case because she's won 23 crowns slams yeah <laughs> But I mean, the names are there. The sport is there. Everything is in place for it to be incredibly marketable. The rivalries at the moment are there. Everything is there, but there is no effort being put. And I know tennis is constantly shooting itself in the foot with like scheduling. It was like in what tournament was it was it when the it was it was the dubai 1000 event for the wta earlier this year and the final was scheduled at the exact same time as the doha atp 500 event between murray and medvedev it's like I know tennis is always shooting itself in the foot. It always shoots itself in the foot with these stupid late starts and early hours of the morning finishes. It's just tennis is bad at marketing. Like we've got to accept that. But then like, how are you not able to promote something that is right in front of you? It is. Yeah. Unbelievably good. And, and sorry, just to go back to one thing that I was talking about with Roland Garros is I think the clearest example of where men's tennis is put on a pedestal by the authorities and women's tennis is disregarded is 
the Roland Garros night session. The Roland Garros night session, it's one slot. It is one match. And yet the tickets are still not far off what you'd be paying for three matches in the day session because the night session is the showcase. They get bloody DJ in before each match. It's a bit naff. Um, but last year when it was introduced, there was obviously, I don't know what point they stopped doing the night sessions, probably up until the semifinals. I can't remember. But every match apart from one was an ATP match because, I mean, part of it is because you're going to schedule on the best of five matches because you want a longer match because you're only selling one ticket, essentially. You're not selling three matches, you're selling one. The only match that was, the only WTA match that was played on the night session last year was uh, uh, Ostapenko v. Corne. Yeah. So but... it's like you're, you're, you're promoting this big slot this showcase spot you essentially headline act if you will and it's always the men's match yes but this is what like we've been saying like this has like this search for equality and like you know well all of this like making sure that the women the women have as as much publicity as the men it has to come from somewhere else it's not going to come from the tournaments because they only care about money and they only care about, okay, how are we going to make this profitable? And that's the way they make it profitable by not putting women on the spotlight because they know not many people will go to those. So they're, they're not going to fix the issue. They're going to address, you know, the, they're going to address it as much as they can for their profit, but they're not, they don't care, you know? They don't care about it being equal. They will only care if they get called out, like Madrid, you know? They will only apologize when they get called out and somebody points it out and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. But they're not going to fix it because there's no... Why would they, you know? If they only care about money, why would they try to, like, why would they take any effort into fixing that? This has got, this has got to come from somewhere else. This has got to come from the WTA and the ATP. Mm. And they're the ones who have to be like, okay, we have this issue. How are we going to fix it? Because it's their, I mean, I, it's the, their the, problem. The, the mad thing is, though, is what does, like, not giving the women's doubles finalists have anything to do with money? It's just such backwards thinking. It's like women oh, no, yeah, talking. That, that has nothing to do with money. That's just blatant sexism. But like, what can you expect from a from a con- uh, tournament that hires models to be ball kids? Yeah, you know that. Well, not so ball heavily, kids. Well, ball women that get so heavily criticized about their skimpy outfits. That I mean, I'm not saying it. I, that's what they were saying. That they have to give them like balloon shorts. So it's like kind of like if they're mocking, you know, in the final. Hmm. Like, they're like, oh, well, you don't want them to wear skirts, then see if you like them wearing these ugly shorts. Like, what's the point of that, you know? Yeah. Obviously, they don't. They didn't think it was an issue. They thought it was a great idea, probably, because they're not thinking about... They're seeing women... Because, I mean, I think that's, that's also the mad thing, is so, obviously, in the last couple of years, um, Madrid got taken over by IMG. 
And it was taken over because it was originally owned by a guy called Eon Tyriac. The the model thing under Eon Tyriac was like, it was weird and it was wrong and it was downright like, why is it necessary? But in that situation, it made sense because Eon Tyriac had other mad ideas like the blue clay. Like it, it sort of fell part of a pattern of just sort of mad, stupid ideas, which the model thing is a mad, stupid idea. When IMG take over, you're like, surely, sh- who's looked at that and just been like, and then who's looked at the decision to not let the women's doubles finalists speak and been like, that's a good idea. I just don't understand. I don't understand why you've got something that's so easily marketable because I think women's tennis is like in a prime position of any other like women's sports in being so easily marketable. It's going to be taken that, over by women's football. Having said that, though, like there's a couple of reasons why I would, I kind of understand a little bit like the difference. One, that women's tennis has never been very consistent, you know? And up until recently, the ATP was very consistent. You know, you know, players who were going to reach the semis and it was almost guaranteed. You had like five, six players who were like, I don't want to be is, there. Is that not just recency bias though? Because if you go before the sort of post Serena period, sort of post 2017, then I think women's tennis was somewhat consistent, Like you knew roughly I mean, was, I'm not saying like you, you you knew you could tell roughly who would be making quarters and semis and finals. And then you go pre the Williams, then you had the 90s where you had there were other players. There was you sort of before that you had Steffi like early 90s, Steffi Graf, Monica Sellers. It's never been as consistent as the men's So, I mean, you can you can try to find some consistency. But you cannot compare. But you two. can, you can, you can. Like yeah, but it's not the same. Because, but, because before Steffi Graf, you had Navratilova and Chris Evert, who were making literally but every that's final. Two. You have two not consistent so, players what, out of a hundred. Okay, on the men's side, you had three consistent players out of hundred. You had tons more. Yeah, I mean, you had three consistent players that were going to reach the final and the semis, but you had at least. I've, three I've, or four I've, more I've, who are gonna reach at least third round i think there's sort of partly recency bias at play here no i don't i think this is a very well-known thing that Milos Raonic made never... a wimbledon final that's not consistent one if you see the finals of every grand slam over the last five years you're gonna see some very different consistency stages you know but and that's, that's just post, the, i mean that's the post post serena period well, are, are you always what that's the post well, serena Serena during serena period besides serena and sharapova when she was active who was no, she were, winning against there was Miyaki that... sometimes azarenka sometimes radvanska yeah but none like none is 
during Serena period and during the big three, you're going to compare those two periods if you want. You're going to see some very different consistency. Okay. Anyway, I'll look for the statistics and I'll bring them next week. But besides that, which for me is like a very obvious issue, I will also say that barring uh, Kyrgios, who's a bit of a maverick, obviously, just the men seem to, and Tsitsipas, who's also a bit like here and there, the men just seem to like, they are athletes, you know, they're tennis players. That's their thing. They dedicate themselves to big tennis players and they're happy with that role. The women, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but they, not all of them, obviously, some of them, and I think this plays against them as, as you know, tennis players, they just want to be celebrities, kind of. Like, yeah, I'll be a tennis player, but I'll be a model. And I'll be like a, even like Sharapova, I'll be after her, you know. But is that not just period. a wider thing of how the press treats prominent women is well, like... no, because if, if you were to look no, at it that because... way, you could be like, oh, they're making them profitable, which they are, but at the expense of their careers. Because, yeah, Sharapova had her candy, Serena Williams had her, like, clothing line, I think even Osaka has, like, a clothing line and stuff. But, yeah, they have, like, a million things. You, I think Raducanu even went to, like, the Met Gala or something. I mean, she's only been to one, and admittedly that was, like, a week after she won the US How Open, many? So... How many male tennis players have you seen, active tennis players, go to, to all of those events? Berrettini was at the most recent Met Gala. Yeah, Berrettini's not. I mean, I mean, I love him, but he's, he's an not gonna. Tennis player. He's he's not and gonna. Nobody expects him to win a Grand Slam right now. So surely that's worse than Raducanu being there because at least Raducanu's actually achieved something. No, but like that, you put more pressure on people who have achieved something. You because you see more potential on them, don't you? Right. So you expect more from them. That. It's the maddest thing. Why is the pressure on the people that have actually been there and done it as opposed to the pressure on the people that have because been at the top of the game but before, not done anything? Before doing it, there's no expectations on you. You could be a, a nobody. Nobody cares. But now that we see you can do it, then we expect you to do it again. You know? Yeah, but I think I think a tennis career where you, I know, win one Grand Slam at the age of 18 and never do it again is still a better tennis career than someone who never wins a slam but has been a top 10 player for many years i don't know i don't know what will be more fulfilling i think winning a grand slam and never winning again and just like disappearing will be very depressing you've done something that every tennis player wants to do yeah but like i think even for yourself you would expect more you know, like you would be like, I can do it. Yeah, and I know, but I think, I, think, I, I think later on in life, when you look back on hindsight, you get to think, oh, I've actually done that great well, thing. Well, I mean, maybe that's like something that helps you sleep at night. But I think it was Roger who said, once you've, once you've won once, you kind of get a taste for it. So I think it's yeah. worth winning once and then never again. 
than always chasing it and being like, oh, you know, I gave it my best. I stayed consistent. I can be happy with my career. Because one Grand Slam is not a career, you know? If you play, you win a Grand Slam and you're retired, that's not, I mean, obviously that's a career, but is that what you want? You're not playing to, to you know, win Grand Slam and that's it. You're playing to become an amazing tennis player. You want to become mm. legendary. That's the goal for everyone. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, should we get back to our point, whatever point you were making before? Was well, that, that was my point. Then? Inconsistency yeah. and just not focusing enough on the sport. And just because so well, because of those reasons, you actually agree that women should pay, be played less than is that your point? No, I never said I agreed. I said I can understand how women's tennis got to this point. I'm mm. not saying it's okay, and I'm not saying that you should just not do anything about it. I'm saying I think those two reasons are probably like part of a huge issue into why this is happening and why this has been happening for so long as well. Yeah. Tennis is very, very, very bad at marketing itself. Very bad at ruling itself. It's very bad at anything to do with itself, I think, Um, which is why it's an interesting thing to talk about. But it's very infuriating when you just, the amount of times that you're sort of like, I find myself engaged with it and because it's a sport that I absolutely love. I love to play it. I love to watch it. I love to talk about it, clearly. <laughs> and yet I often find myself looking at it and I'm just like, it is incredibly infuriating, the sort of stupid shit that goes on. Because, yeah. like, the Madrid thing, the doubles play, like the doubles final thing, what what was the fucking point at the end of the day? What what was the what what did they get out of not letting the finalists speak? Then there's this profit sharing thing, and partly you could say that the blame is on the WTA because they weren't a they didn't negotiate a profit sharing deal for their players, whereas the ATP did. But then Rome just not having equal prize money. Like, oh yeah, we will be aim to be equal by 2025. But I mean, what's an aim? <laughs> just make them equal now. You've got the money, do it. And then, and then obviously we're not talk about this hashtag Tennis United stuff, but it's not really United. It just makes good videos. All marketing. It's all marketing. And then, yeah, and we talk about the difference between like match attendances and I mean, the Roland Garros night session, don't get me started. Stupid. It's also annoying. Because Maybe they'll do better this to... year. Yeah, no, I do have a ticket to one night session. Um, so we'll see. Um, Maybe it will be better. But I think they've just brought forward the night session by like half an hour if they can. Obviously, they can't always because matches don't have a set time limit. Um, and yeah, no, it'll be the, um, the men matches as always, because the night sessions is just stupid. Like, why do you need a night session? Like that's an American thing. Anyway, we're already 50 minutes into this recording. So should we now start talking about tennis that's happened? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, very briefly. <laughs> very briefly. Okay, so actual tennis. I I mean, I don't have many notes on this, but shall we start with Sabalenka going up? Actually, no, let's start with... Um, I've never really watched Rome in detail before, but I just want uh, to talk about what looks like one of the coolest courts I've ever seen. Oh. Uh, jelly, which is... Uh, looks great it's like sunken into the ground so you like basic so it's accessible on a grounds pass and basically it's all the seating is below ground level oh so basically you walk through the the complex and you can base as you're walking through you can look down on this court it looks amazing and it's surrounded by statues so cool (laughs) that's quite cute yeah and it's nice because it's accessible by grounds pass so like actual tennis fans can go and watch the tennis as opposed Hmm. to just rich people that's the first um yeah um and so you do end up with really good atmospheres like there was uh sakari against uh marquesa von Josova, and the atmosphere was looked fantastic even though the weather was crap and gray as well um (laughs) But yeah, so um, yeah, anyway, actual tennis, Sabalenka went out. She got beaten by Sophia Kenin, 7-6-4-6-2. I mean, admittedly, Kenin did go on to lose to Angelina Carolina in the round of 32. But it's been a good year so far for Sophia Kenin, who, lest we forget, is... Not only just a Roland Garros finalist, but an Australian Open champion in 2020. But yeah, she started off the year at rank 227. Her live ranking is 118. So she's she's been sort of making good, good, quiet progress. Yeah. Um, But I mean, Sabalenka discussed fatigue. And maybe this is just another thing about, obviously, we don't need to rant much more about week and a half long tournaments because I think we've we've done that to death now but that's another difference between on the on the WTA side of the tour is that you're essentially asking WTA players to play extra grand slam tournaments because you're doing the full pretty much the full draw of 128 apart from the buys and WTA players just play best of three at slams anyway so like and Sabalenka talked of the fatigue because you're going from essentially what must feel like one slam next week into another slam. Hmm. I personally think uh, slams both sides of the both tours should do uh, best of five tennis because I don't think there's anything better than best of five tennis. It's the it's just the best thing. Ever. I think. <laughs> I mean, uh, some of those matches go like. There's scheduling issues because they go so far, like into the night, and they last hours. It will be a nightmare if you make all of them best of five. I know, but best of five tennis, come on, it's great. <laughs> Maybe I mean we never talk about doubles tennis on this, so let's just let's just get rid of doubles. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not do that because I feel like let's not give them a speech. Who <laughs> would notice? <laughs> yeah, no. Let, let's 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 okay. We've been complaining about, yeah, doubles finalists not getting a speech, so let's not just start going out there to ban doubles. Um, <laughs> although I'm not very good at playing doubles, so... Um, I hate it, but, I mean, some people are really good, like Jack Sock. Yeah, no, I just don't like sharing a court with people. 
Yeah, me neither. But it's All like, right. I feel like it's tennis, but it's like kind of like another sport on its own, you know? It's so different in like the techniques and like everything you need to do. It's just. I just find it weird because I'm so used to like playing singles tennis. So you're often trying to find like those short angles or you're trying to find the angles either going like sort of you're going diagonal you're either going cross court or you're like you're just trying to find the angles and often they're like either down the line or because you're trying to get the width yeah I whereas think... whereas in doubles i feel like so often it's sort of a bit weird because the most useful thing is just to go down the middle which is weird like yeah because that's where they both yeah in common i guess but it's also like very specific i found like you have to like when it's one-on-one -on -one, you have this huge cord and you have like this big places where you can put the ball where it's like doubles you have like this tiny little you know like spots where if you put it there you know it's going to be a good but like because you have two people like... going after it so <laughs> Sing singles you have a like singles if say i bring you into i play a short ball that brings you into the net it's like a good tactic for me there might just be to chip it over your head and go for the lob whereas you can't do that in doubles because if i kind of lob the person in the net there's someone standing behind them well, that's the thing you have to think <laughs> as as two you know you're not just yeah. thinking about like you and what you will do you have to think about what you and your partner can do. I know. And it's like, that's the thing. I'm thinking about what, what shot I can hit. And then all of a sudden, my partner's hit a shot before I do. So that's why I've always said, like, I don't get people who play both. Because how can you, like, converge that, you know? How can you be good at both? I don't get it. No, they feel like completely different sports. Anyway, um, yeah, so, yeah, obviously, Sabalenka discussed fatigue. We've gone on from that. But uh, Alcaraz is now out. He lost to Fabian Marajan, 6-3, 7 6 So this Alcaraz-Djokovic match is never going to happen, clearly. Um, Marajan is the rank 135. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting because the most... Uh, uh, difficult matches uh, that Alcaraz played in Madrid were against unseeded players. <laughs> Marajan is very unseeded. Um, but yeah, just I think very, it's just uh, tired. Can yeah, you have like I a think what, 14 tired. match like streak or something like that? Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I knew something with, like this was coming, which I, this is why I predict Medvedev to uh, win the tournament. <laughs> um, and it's also good for him to rest before Roland Garros. Yeah, so I know I think in a way it's actually quite good for him because he's now probably, like, he's going to be the number one seed going into Roland Garros. Yeah. Um, and, he's and he's got time just to rest and recuperate. Um, but yeah, yeah, so other things. Nori is going to play Djokovic in their next round match. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Dang, How are you feeling about that? <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, part of the pain of being a British tennis fan, isn't it? Um, and yeah, uh, as we sort of said at the start of this episode, all our predictions were still standing, uh, apart from one, which was yours. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Pagula, uh, knocked out by Taylor Townsend, 6-2, 3-6, 6-3. One thing that I 
completely caught me by surprise when uh, I saw that result is when I saw it written up, I was like, that can't be right. Where, and then I had to Google it to check it was actually right. But I feel like we've only really been talking about Jessica Pagula like frequently for like the last year and a bit. Yeah. So I was like, oh, she must be like 24, 25, maybe. She's 29. Yeah. That's much older than I thought. I was very surprised. Yeah, she picked pretty like. She's a bit of a late bloomer, old, isn't I she? Guess. Yeah. I mean, that's quite interesting, though. Yeah. It would be nice to see how she matures as a player at this age. When yeah. she's probably done all her maturing now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of being interesting. I've I've because that's the thing. I've only feel like we've been talking about her being in like the real latter stages of being a contender for top tournaments for a brief amount of time. So it'd be kind of interesting to go back and actually like track her rankings progression. Hmm. Um. But yeah, so other news. Um, so preparing for the French Open, we finally have a group chat, which means um, the three of us, when I say the three of us, that includes Dennis, who has only been on this podcast once, but he will be on the uh, Ronan Gars one because he's out there with me. We'll, we will actually have thorough, like written down predictions um from the quarterfinals onwards so as soon as those draws come out uh, i'm gonna be <laughs> i'm gonna be sending out a table to that group chat where we can all write down Ooh. our quarterfinalists semi-finalists finalists and champions for both the uh men's and women's singles um exciting yeah i i feel like my two champions aren't gonna be that rogue um no, we'll go say if it's a grand slam. So, yeah, I kind of we we kind of need to. I kind of need to think of like a point system, don't I? So we can uh, see who who gets it most right. Maybe there has to be like a forfeit for the loser or something. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, I'm entirely basing this off her Instagram story, but it looks like Radicano has now completed her surgery. So oh. let's hope the recovery is quick and the. Uh, the tennis will soon be good. That's um, great. Yeah. Um, anything else we need to talk about today? No. No. You want to go to bed, don't you? Yes. So do I, to be honest. Sleep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I was, yeah, not really recovered. I finished late on Saturday, then I was in early in the day on Sunday, and I was in early today. But then I'm in late tomorrow, so at least I can have a, well, I can't really have a line because I'm going to have to edit this bloody podcast no <laughs> to be fair I'm, so much. I'll, I'll, I'll probably i'll get at least most of it done um tomorrow if not it'll be coming out on wednesday i should apologize now for how late it came out last week but obviously like trying to find the new schedule to uh work around and everything well, they but don't need to hear about this well, I just want to apologise because we didn't <laughs> don't, keep up to just our... Just apologise, don't give reasons. Why can't I give reasons? It's unprofessional. Do just be like the Madrid Open. Say I'm this sorry is... and move on. <laughs> if this was anything like the Madrid Open, you wouldn't be speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and you would have a huge cake. I'd have a massive cake. 
you'd, you'd be sitting in the corner, not speaking, eating a tiny little cake. That's that's how the Midgeret Open would have it. Well, you're British, so maybe you wouldn't even be here either. What do you mean? Well, they gave. I think half of the reason why they gave such a huge cake to Alcaraz is because he was Spanish. Mm. Yeah, that's probably part of it. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, should we just wrap up now? Um, thank you for listening to this week's episode. This was Unseeded Episode 15. Um, we do have a Twitter account at Unseeded Pod. Go follow that because then if there is any delays, you can find out from that Twitter account. Um, I know that Elon Musk has made Twitter pretty unusable, but uh, so we will have, I will be making an Instagram account shortly so I can just put up Instagram stories of me having fun in Paris. Um, but yeah, there is also an email address at uns, uh, no, not at unseated, that's the Twitter, it's unseatedpod at gmail.com. Um, and yes, please um, subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now and rate and review us. But make sure it's a positive review <laughs> because we would rather you didn't leave a review at all if it was a bad one, <laughs> if we're being honest. Um, but yes, thank you for listening and goodbye. Grazie, ciao. Oh, good. You remembered that. That's that's good to keep it consistent. <laughs>